You are listening to the Heat Ratio Podcast, brought to you by the Heat Ratio Sports Network. This show brings the temperature of sports to a whole new level. Whether it's a local opinion or a national agenda, everything is fair game. Remember, everyone has an opinion, but only few can back it up. Now sit back, crank up the volume, and if you think you can handle it, get ready for the heat. Tony Cotillo here, Heat Ratio Sports, Fans and Firebox, episode 30. And tonight, we got our resident subscriber and, and volunteer of the Fancy Firebox, Mr. Flyer and Ice himself, uh, Dan Green. And tonight, we have a special guest. Now, last week, we had Ann Shore, professional handicapper on the show. And tonight, we have another, the wagering sports wizard, Mr. Mark Drumheller, right from Fox Sports, a gambler and betting for breakfast. Mark, what's up, buddy? Doing good, Tony, man. Hey, listen, we're all just sitting around waiting for Carson Wentz to get traded, right? That's like, yeah. you know, there's two things we can count on nowadays. Carson Wentz not getting traded and snow. And it looks like, you know, another day of the same old story here in Philadelphia. It's the Wentz watch. It's always the yeah, Wentz ooh, watch. Where is he going to go? You know, no um, one wants him. No one wants the guy. But I, well, that, yeah, that's what it seems like. It, that was our thing. And Dan knows last night we did the Heat Ratio live show. It was like, we're not allowed to say Carson Wentz tonight. Like, I, I want nothing to do with Carson Wentz. Like, yeah. let's not even talk. Oh, he, he wants nothing to do with you either. Well, right. yeah, that is true. We, <laughs> hey, Mark, we try to tell people that, right? There but that's okay. that's okay. We all learn the hard way. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Tonight we got tons to talk about. We got some basketball to talk about. We're going to get into some NBA championship futures, some MLB futures. Talk about the San Diego Padres, who had an unbelievable offseason. Talk about some closers. We're going to talk about some NBA fixtures. And right before this show, you know, we go live. One of us will go live every day to DFS Blend, try to build a lineup and right away things changed ben simmons out uh you know which was unexpected had the flu uh you know listen i i'm kind of disappointed not just from a fantasy standpoint from but from a point of could he make an encore performance i was really looking forward to that but you know it's not going to happen tonight but from a dfs standpoint then you know i was thinking you know i know you kept asking about tyrus maxi but i was thinking Tobias Harris is probably the biggest beneficiary against uh-huh. Houston, right? With no Victor Oladipo, no Christian Wood, uh, Gordon's Gatesaw. What do you think about that? I have uh, Harris in a couple of my lineups. First, right. first of all, I don't care who's on the court. Harris is on fire right now. He so I, I think I, – I, I, but I agree with you because the first thing you have to think of, who's going to pick up the slack and help Joel out, it's going to be Tobias. But I'm hoping, you know, I put I put a flyer on uh, Maxi because you know with the last second news of of uh, Ben not being in lineups, I threw a couple lineups together with Maxi um, as a value play, so I could stack um, some stronger players. You know, I'm, I'm taking a flyer. I'm taking a gamble. He's going to get the minutes regardless. So some, so hopefully he'll get, you know, numbers just based on his minutes. I was I was actually really liked, and I, I threw him in our in our DFS blend line. It was uh, Seth Carey at forty six hundred. I thought, you know what? Even though we kind of talked about last night, you know, not playing starter minutes, so he he should maybe be a bench guy. But I think this is the kind of game against Houston. It's, he's just going to be running and gunning. So hopefully at home he gets his legs back with him and hits a couple threes. But how about you know what I'd like to do about the show? What we did last week with Ann, and, and, and especially while we have Mark here tonight is when these kind of things come out. I again, I'm not a huge better. 
I, you know, and that's the thing. I, Mark will tell you right now, he's not a huge fantasy player, just like I'm not a huge better. We, we, we kind of cross each other, which is great. So let me ask Mark, you know, when you have Ben Simmons come out, because here's the thing with DraftKings. Ben Simmons goes out. Seth Curry's value doesn't go up. Seth right. Curry is at 4,600. It stays at 4,600. But the lines absolutely change, correct? Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, the line definitely changed. There was some movement, um, you know, regarding the Sixers game tonight with that. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about it. Like, it's the secondary players that are really going to have the hidden value tonight. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people jumped all over and beat overs, right? Oh. Uh, you know, over points and then under rebounds, under assists, because he's going to, to put more on his shoulders, especially, you know, uh, you know, coming off rest. But, um, you know, I think it's it's definitely a situation where they're going to need those secondary players to step up. You want to look at Tobias Harris, you know, those types of uh, people in this matchup. And the Sixers, I mean, in, in this situation, you know, I, I, I like them against a team like Houston. Uh, ben Simmons or not, I think that for once, you know, they're in a position this season to where if they don't have all their people, you know, they, they still have a, a deep enough team to, to be able to compete. Um, especially against some of these subpar teams. Yeah, those those undervalued guys, those lower level guys. One of those guys would obviously be Shake Milton, but he's not playing. Uh, you know, I, I threw out a guy. I don't know what you guys think about this, but you know, we we were killing Fur Furcon last night, rightfully so, because he has been absolutely brutal. But you have that you have a rookie in Isaiah Joe that tonight of all nights could be a night for him to break out. Uh, you know, I know, Dan, you're, you're big on Maxi, but I feel like Maxi's kind of fallen out of favor for some reason. I'm not sure why, but he just doesn't seem like the same guy we've seen in the first couple weeks. So I think tonight, s silently, I think Isaiah Joe could have a really good night. I hope so. I, I, I've liked the kid. Um, when they, they, you remember, they were just before the draft, they were rumored to draft the kid because they promised him a, him a second round selection. Um, he was a known shooter in college. Um, I, I just can't stand fork moss fork, oh. fork. I can combine the name. I can't, I, know, right? I, I, I just can't stand. I, I went to multiple games last year before COVID kicked in and to watch him play defense is disgusting. It, it, you know, especially when you're in the upper tier of the state of the <laughs> arena. And I'm like, he, he just chases after he, he can't defend anybody. And then when yeah. he's not scoring, yeah, yeah, he'll have those two fruit, uh, fluky games in a row. But then he disappears. So I would like to give this kid multiple game run and see what he does. No, I completely agree with you. I, I I would love this is and against Houston right now. You look at and I'm not sure I didn't check before we we went live. I know Eric Gordon was still game time. I'm not sure if he's playing. Uh, I know PJ Tucker does come back tonight, but still, there's no Eladipo, there's no Christian Wood who they haven't played with, right? So this this could be the perfect opportunity for getting the swing. So. What I what I want to ask too is you know let's get into some players and, and I, I we call this DFS fixtures but I want to get in some players and when we get those players I'll ask Mark too about maybe like props and and one guy that specifically sticks out to me he's not playing tonight he's like, I can't believe that I've actually had Al Horford in my DFS lineup on multiple occasions uh, and Dan he's been six to seven thousand he's been a thirty plus point monster uh it, it really it, everything we wanted him to do here he's doing there right in okc but you know from a from a fantasy standpoint is he a guy you foresee going through the rest of this season i know it's a long season but he's been pretty consistent is he a guy looks like 29 to 32 minutes 
He's he got it. You you will be a fixture, like we call this episode, NBA fixtures in your lineup going forward. I wouldn't say a fixture, but I I'll start to develop. I'm developing more trust in him than I I've had in the past. I mean, he's had some 50, 50 point games, forty three point games. His value is around seven. So he he's a guy that can't hurt you right now, if that makes sense. But I wouldn't say a fixture because okay. I I you know because he, he he reminds me of the Plumleys of the world, um, Miles Turner, where I could have a gut feel on those type of guys as my center. If I'm not playing uh, Embiid, Jokic, or um, Vucevic, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, you know, you can't always play the ten thousand ninety five hundred dollars center just because it, you you know your your secondary players that you want to go with your guards your forwards it, you just you got it you got to cut somewhere so if you can cut Vucevic and put Horford in and it give you know like what we did tonight with John Wall yep. Yep. pregame or pre-show <laughs> pregame exactly. pre-show you know all right I'm gonna take uh, Vucevic out put Horford in now I could afford wall and I'll drop so-and-so. So he's a solid play, but I'm not going to say he's a sure bed in my lineup. Yeah. He, he just, for me, seems like exactly what you said. There's certain guys I always fall back on uh, all the time. Uh, that, and for 7,000, he's at a really good value, really good spot at the center position. But Mark, when we talk about, let me ask you this. When you talk about props, when you do props, over, unders, whatever they may be, are you more susceptible? Like guys like Al Horford that you know are are consistent. Do you kind of do you kind of stope those guys out, or you just play basically matchups with guys like Al Horford? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be more matchup related, especially you know in a sense of you want to kind of look at his splits against how he performs against you know that upper tier echelon of teams versus the lower tier. I mean, you know, the Thunder is obviously a team that. Um, is not competitive, right? I think they're like 11 and 16, which is, you know, surprisingly high for what we thought they might be coming into the season. But, um, you know, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Like when you see him playing Denver and we see him playing the Lakers, um, you know, they're not games that I, I don't think that he's personally necessarily going to get up for because they know they're not going to be competitive in those games. I mean, they played the Lakers tough, um, but you know, I think that, you know, we really want to try and take advantage of when he goes against these bad teams with bad defenses. Like, they're the games where he can really clean up and you're going to see the rest of the team kind of rally around him because the, it's games that they can have a legitimate chance of winning. You know what I mean? And I think when bad teams, you kind of have to look at that from that perspective, at least I like to do is, you know, are they in a game where they're going to have a ton of motivation, where they're going to be able to win, where they're go he's going to play, you know, as many minutes as he can and stay on the stretch? Is he going to want the ball in his hands? Those types of things. So I think with Horford, he kind of fits into that mold to where, you know, you, you have to kind of gauge his motivation on night to night basis. He's playing a back to back against, you know, two great teams with big big men like Denver and Philadelphia or whatnot, right? He's not going to be, I mean, Philadelphia he might be because of the way things happen yeah. here, but um, he typically he's not going to be motivated. They're going to be getting blown out. They'll probably rest them towards the end of the game if it really gets out of hand. So you kind of have to try and figure out, you know, the motivation of the team and how that trickles down and how that's going to impact him as a player. I like it. I like it. Now, Adam's second in, and he says, Mark, would the Heat Warriors game be worth betting on either team or any of the players? That's interesting. 
That's interesting because what I can say is from a fantasy perspective, I looked really hard at this game, and I'm still going to look at it later on because I was thinking about doing, and me and Dale talked to this later, but I was thinking about doing a showdown matchup uh, for that game because I think there's been some really good solid plays in that game. But from a betting perspective, Mark, with a game like this, because obviously Steph Curry, you have to, you're going to look at you know his over and under for three-pointers, over and unders of points, but he is going to have Jimmy Butler guarding him, who's a pretty good dog there. So I, I don't know. How do you kind of weigh the options when you look at a game like this? Yeah, when I look at like this game with Golden State and, you know, um, Miami, you're looking at, you know, you have a Miami team, obviously, um, you know, not playing great of late. And then a Golden State team, again, I think that, you know, Curry's going to have to do everything for them, like in this game. And he's going to have Butler on them. But I, I think it, in a, from a strictly not a props, but from the matchup, like I think in Golden State, I think they're a play on here. If I were to pick a side, it would definitely be Golden State here at home against this Miami team. Um, as far as Curry props, like points would probably be juiced up. So I don't know if I would touch the the Curry points. Um, probably wouldn't play it either way over or under. Um, but, you know, maybe you look at, you know, I don't know, like maybe you try and play points, rebounds, and assists because if it is, like I said, a close game down the stretch, you know, does Curry, is Curry trying to do more down the stretch and kind of look at it that way? But if I were to have any play on this, it would definitely be the side, and it would be Golden State. Uh, I like that. I like that, Dan. That's a, seek, a sneaky. The points plus rebounds plus assists is a really sneaky bet, man. I've been looking at that mm -hmm. a lot lately. Well, I, because really you need that. that rebound. Like with a guy like Curry, you need the rebounds to kind of pull that number down, right? You don't want to right. just play the points and assists. You can get value that way if he exceeds in the points. You know, you kind of have that baked in to that points, rebounds, and assists where you're not just isolated. Everybody's betting the points. That number gets juiced up. But the points, rebounds, and assists, um, I think, helps you. You can play the points and assists, but I think probably more value with all three. Well, that makes sense. maybe you could uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I, I was looking at that too a while ago. And for a while, Tobias Harris – those numbers were set around 29 for him. And I, I was, it was like a slam dunk to take him with the, with that line. Right. I mean, he's going to, he's going to get 22 points and then he's got to get a combination of rebounds and assists to get the 29. Have, did you notice that with Tobias Harris? That yeah. And recently like I felt like earlier in the season, it was definitely a play. Um, I haven't looked at it lately to be honest with Harris individually, it's the points, rebounds and assists, but I know early in the season, there was a lot of value on him. Um, you know, just in general, because I think that the, the market pretty much projected him a lot based off of last season, and we saw him kind of ascend. But I think especially now, like with the Sixers and just how they're constructed and, you know, we, we have these situations, and that's what makes the NBA so difficult on a nightly basis is because so much of the handicap should go into the point distribution based on that lineup, Right. And the lineups are so volatile and fluctuating. We don't find out five minutes before the game who it's they're true. playing yeah. with, who they're not playing with. Like, that makes it so much more difficult. You know what I mean? But um, everything being fair and kind of knowing who's playing and nothing kind of sneaking up on you. Um, games like tonight, I think, you know, bad defense, um, a game where they need Harris to do more. I would definitely look more towards those points, rebounds, and assists as opposed to just points because that's where, you know, the market's going to be. Um, you know, flooded, saturated with people taking that over. So you're probably not going to get decent odds. Uh, a live watch here. Just looking, John Randall already on fire. Uh, already 16 points 
with still five minutes left in the first quarter in that game. In one of my lineups. Yeah, he is on fire. I mean, and again, when one thing, because I've got a ton of DMs. Please understand. Listen, I, I'm not getting the points wrong, just so everybody knows. I am going by DraftKings points. When I say hey, he scores 40 a night, no. I understand his average isn't 40 yeah. points per night, right? I get that. We're talking about DraftKings points. So, yeah, he's all, you got him in your line, Stan? I do. I do. I, I, but as um, I'm, I'm forgetting which viewer always breaks my balls about about so many of them. I, I have every, I have everyone wrong. covered. So what what's the point? Just name a player. I've got him covered. Yeah. But, well, I, I'd say I didn't. Run, well, Julius Randle's been so hot. He really I, I has. Thought, oh, and he, listen, by the way. He okay. just went up. Now he's at 17 points, and it's, it's crazy, man. Oh, Vucevic is at 11. So, I have him, too. Yeah, you, I, I know you said it to me, so you did. Um, yeah, I I'm had glad you brought that up, Tony, because when you were talking about Horford and you were talking about 40 points, I was like, yeah. I those games. <laughs> I'm like, I did not. I'm like, is there a different Horford? Like, yeah, well, that, well, that's what happened. So what happened was I just had a couple people DM me and say, hey, I heard your your uh, your vignette that I own a gambler, but I don't understand something. You know, are, where you get your points from? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, you're saying this guy's averaging 55. I'm like, yeah, 55 DraftKings points. Right, like, right. Because right. I don't give a shit what the guy – I'm going by DraftKings points. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. This is so No, funny. I mean, I, we're so conditioned to, to follow yep. traditional numbers. And even me, I mean, I do this with Tony all the time. Um, we he was trying to sell me on Kaminsky a, a couple weeks ago, yes. and he's like he's averaging twenty a night. I'm like, no, he's not. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, uh, duh, he's talking uh, DFS points. It, it, so yeah, you're right, Dan. We're conditioned that way. Well, listen, yeah. how great is it going to be in the future when like DFS buys like programming rights, and then like instead of the scoreboard, it has like the DFS scores there on the side. Like, wait, well, I bet you that's all that's coming, dude. Oh, I that's you know, money's everything. Like the broadcast you know. will be tailored to that. Like it'll have like the DSF points on the side and all that stuff. That would be uh, spectacular. Especially would... if especially if once Amazon gets more involved. Oh. Like, you wait, dude. Amazon's involved in everything. You know what I mean? You know <laughs> You watch. They're gonna get heavily involved in like like now that they're getting like broadcast rights to like the NFL and stuff, it's going to be um, they're going to try and like really own everything. I feel like, like oh, they can come in if they get like a sports book or whatnot. They can come in, and I know we're going off topic. This is like a sidebar, but if they were to go out and get like interesting, book, like like you know, Barstool gets you know has their deal with Penn or whatever, blah blah. They get their own sports book, right? Like instead of DraftKings, it's like Amazon or whatever, right? Now they have NFL broadcasting rights. They can get broadcasting rights to these games. They can kind of like run it end to end to where they can kind of like cross promote within it. So they can be like, Hey, you know what? All right. You bet these three games. Like I'll show you this game on your stream. Or you bet this game. I'll show you live feeds from this game of the fourth quarter and kind of like use both tools to like really get you to like almost like locked in as a consumer to where you don't have to go anywhere else, but Amazon because they're giving you the games and they're giving you the, the betting. That's a brilliant concept, man. You know, brilliant. no one else can really do that because, like, they're not – I mean, they could, I guess, if, like, DraftKings can get, like, rights to the games or whatnot, but they're not going to. Like, Amazon has all the money. Oh, well, the, the rights 
you know, for everything is going to change. So like, I'll be, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I am so confident that all these streams, things of that nature, eventually, somehow, some way, you know, I, I don't know if there's a way for them to do it, but they'll be like, you know, rights on the players' names, or right, like mm-hmm. there, there's going to be something because they're just they want to get their hands in everything that they can uh, because they're they're shysters. Let me tell you, uh, they, <laughs> they really are. But let me ask you this about. Because I think this was an interesting uh, scenario, and I think this is a very good topic between these two players for not only DFS and fantasy purposes, but for props and actual game lines based on the teams they play for. And that's the the Jokic and Embiid comparison. Now, the reason why I say that is because these two guys, <laughs> with all due respect to Giannis, these guys are very very consistent. Oh, we were talking about 50 to 55 to 60 DraftKings points. All right, I said DraftKings to make everybody happy. Uh, DraftKings points on a consistent basis. They're always 10-5 to 11-1. For me personally, I think <clears throat> Jokic gets the nod every time, only because he consistently drops the dimes more than Embiid does. Now, from a betting perspective, Mark, and not just mm-hmm. from props, just from lines, you know, d- 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 obviously this is Nuggets and Sixers, and and I think the Sixers are a better team. But does that those two players going against each other, you know, based on line movement, based on prop bets, who to you would be the better player to put all your, you know, basically all your chips in for? Well, I think it depends. When I look at those two players, like I don't think either of them, I mean, against each other, I don't think it's going to have much impact on the line. They're two great players. Um, you know, in the game, and it's two good competitive teams. I think if you're looking at something like, hey, we're looking at the MVP market or whatnot, like, okay, you might want to lean towards a B because the East is so much less competitive than the West. Like, the West is so competitive. But when I looked at these two players from a DFS standpoint, and this might be valuable information or not, um, they, they mirror each other. Like, they're pretty close, and that's why we have these conversations, right? You know, 29, 27 points, 11 rebounds a game, right? They're both there. But where they differ and where they almost complement each other, so from a daily DFS standpoint, this will help you out, is Embiid is at his best either on zero rest or more than two days rest, three days plus. Like That's when he averages the bulk of his points. When he's in that one to two days rest, he averages 24, you know, 21 standard you know, points that you would normally get a game. But much better outside of those i mean last 10 games average 33 points much better on zero days rest or three days rest um you have to look at the sample sizes and kind of dig in but yochik on the other hand is the exact opposite right he's at his best um you know when he's at zero and three days rest he's at his worst and he's at the best in those one or two days rest so if you kind of look at the splits and look at like hey they coming off a back to back you know have they had a ton of rest like those guys if you're trying to make you know, an informed opinion between those two players. I think that that's really the differentiator is to look at the rest, look at, you know, where they're coming in, you know, are they coming off a game before where it kind of fits? Because I do think that that is the one area in which these two players are much different. Uh, I think that's a great point because what I'll specifically say is, and Dan, you know, you can elaborate. What Mark brings out is a good point because, you know, there's really no other – basically comparison to make between these two guys because they're not guys that say, oh, you know what, they're playing against, you know, they're playing against Antonio or Anthony Davis, so they're going to get shut down. These guys don't get shut down by anybody. So 
matter who they're playing. I mean, you you have the potential of the blowout, which really sucks, right? Because then that guy gets gets rested, only plays twenty seven minutes, and he doesn't get you that sixty based on that eleven one number. But they, you know, are, are there any other comparisons in your mind when you take these two players? Because again. Center to me is one of the most important positions in your DFS lineup, just like goalie is, uh, like you say, in hockey. And these two guys are consistently in the top two every night. So I'm curious to see about how you think between the two of them, who you lean towards on a consistent basis. Now, you have to go, Jokic, because they're, they're, they're separated by two points a game. So that's just two, that's just two DFS points. Um, their rebounds are identical, like 10-6, 10-8 on average. And... Jokic averages uh, six more assists a game. Um, now, Embiid could make up ground if he was to block three, four shots per game, but he doesn't because Jokic doesn't block as many shots as Embiid. But the bottom line, when it's all said and done, Jokic averages about six or seven more fantasy points per game um, on the year. But on any given night, we've seen it. You know, One can go for 75, the other can go for 50. And neither one's a bad number, but obviously they they have the potential to have monster numbers. Yeah, but I I go I go Jokic because of the assists. Well, you make the, the the great point, which is exactly why I go Jokic as well. But you know those two points that you're talking about, or four points, or, you know those sixes. That's the difference between you know first and sometimes 158th place. Right. I mean, it really is. And and one of the things I want to touch on to bring this down to another level is low ownership players. And the reason why I think it's a good segue is because they're not necessarily low tier players. There are some studs in there. And, and I broke down some numbers so everybody understands what we look at. OK, so your low ownership players is how you win your matchup. Okay, you everybody. If everybody sixty five percent of the slate starts James Harden, okay, you know for a simple fact you go to a comparison to anybody in the leaderboard. You guys are going to be fighting each other for the same points. You have to take the guys that are low ownership. So I'll give you an example. You do have guys like like Whiteside the other night who was only forty three hundred. Okay, he was only owned at three percent of the time. Three percent ownership it got you fifty eight points. The reason why that was important is because if you watch the injury report which you tell you you have to say so attentive to on the NBA on the NBA side is Rashard Holmes was questionable. As soon as he was questionable, you had to start to think that Whiteside was going to start to have a bigger role. Now I could have not projected 58 points. That's no. huge, right? But 3% ownership is huge. Now, on the flip side, let's look at tonight. We just talked about Julius Randle. He was only 9% owned and scored 65 points. So what that tells me is people either thought he was overvalued or they didn't like his matchup. So, again, you know, you have to forward think here because that's the way you win. Like tonight, I didn't like the matchup for Julius Randle. That was my own gut feeling. I didn't like it. I I didn't want anybody to know that game with Orlando, New York. But – Look, on a night where he was only 9% owned, he scored 65. That won somebody else's matchup. Another guy's Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons was only 8.4% ownership last week. And the other night, how many scored? 75. Right? And he was 8,400. So it's not necessarily low-tier players, but you have to look at basically these ownership levels. It's the only way that you win. So, Dan, I don't know. I look at this consistently. I really do. And, again, unless you're paying, so everybody knows, 
unless you're going to pay for a premium service, you're not going to get up to date, but you can get the previous weeks. So you can get an idea of what the ownership value is. And I do look at that. Dan, do you look at that? Um, not, I mean, I, I've looked at it in the past, but the, the different, like Jokic's average is like 10%, right? And then everyone else is in the eight, seven, six. So they're, they're still clumped together. And it's not like, if I have Jokic in my lineup, that means, you know, you know how in fantasy football, for example, there, you know, a guy could be owned 33% by 30%, 30% or something like that. Everyone's going to have, um, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook or something. But Jokic is still only 10% ownership. I mean, 10% is the big number in this category, but it's not like a guy like Zach Levine, for example, is 5%. They're they're still piled up on top of each other from like the eight percent mark on down. Um, he he separates everyone by like a point and a half percent wise, but then everyone else is kind of the you know the the, the big names are kind of clumped on top of each other. So that's why that's why I didn't get fixated on that number. Um, I, I like to have the fluid approach. I go with gut. I go with uh, injury reports. I go with. Uh, we talk about all the time, uh, you know, like I avoided, a de- I avoided a couple of games tonight because of blowout potential. Yep. Uh, so those are the things that are more important to me. And if by accident, I realize, oh no, I have a couple guys that are, you know, high percentage owned guys. Well, hopefully my other players will compensate for the balance of, uh, you know, my competition having the same lineup as me. Well, the, the CD Osmans of the world will help me out. The CD Osman, which is, I want to get into that. I want to get into these, these, these fixtures and that this isn't daily, but the fit, the low tier right. fixtures, right? Uh, but I will tell you right now, Vucevic has the dreaded snowflake. We're, we're, we're looking live, the dreaded snowflake for Mr. Vucevic and Terrence Ross is going off. Terrence Ross has just become the number one point scorer in that game. And he's at 21 points already. And the second hit, the second quarter just started. So that looks like that's, you know, I was dead wrong. I didn't think that was going to be a great game from a fantasy perspective, but Mark, I, I don't know when you, when you look at your lines and you look at these bets for the games, uh, you know, do you stay away from bad matchups or, you know, do you just consistently go for the, the really good juicy matchups? Do you stay away from like this Orlando stinks, the Knicks thing? Would you even touch that game from a bet perspective? Yeah, it's tough. Like when you get into, again, so much I think this year in the NBA comes down to motivation and whether these players are in and out. So when you're dealing with these bad teams, it really makes it more difficult to kind of gauge, you know, what their motivation is going to be and how they're going to perform. Um, if they're, you know, playing against a good team that you can kind of count on, I think it's, you know, much easier to kind of lean towards the favorite in those situations. But you have to look at the individual teams and, and how do they play. Like there are some teams, you know, that I think that, you know, when they're big underdogs, they play very well, like in those roles. You know what I mean? There's other teams that, you know, when they're kind of like short underdogs, you know, minus three, minus four, uh, you know, underdogs in, in those types of games, that they, they play those favorites tough. So it really depends on kind of the team, you know, you're talking about. And that's what I kind of do is try and look at those trends is like, how do they perform when they're playing against this tier of competition as opposed to how, how do they perform against, you know, teams that might be a little bit closer to them? And is that something, is there a trend there, something that I can kind of play on? 
Yeah, I mean, the trends are huge. They absolutely are. Mm-hmm. The trends are absolutely huge. It, it's what we build everything about. I mean, from a betting perspective and from a fantasy perspective, I mean, we consistently look at past historical performances and how, you know, especially if it's this year, which is great because that really gives us a sense if it's in a division, we, we actually know much better. But, Dan, let me ask you this, because I, I mentioned David Nwamba tonight for Houston because, you know, I have a, de- a dead-to-me list. Uh, of players and that and, and and he was very close to that list okay but i i mentioned yesterday that kelly olenic is on my dead to me list now i will never start him again so i want to ask you is there anybody over the last week that that entered your dead to me list i know you're shaking your head so i think there there may be one or two but for me kelly olenic is on that list it's it, it, and it's funny. Tony and I joke. Uh, he has a dead to me list, and then I put him in my lineup. There, I look at my CPR list. Because, um, <laughs> because, but, and, and I and a guy that was dead to me for a while, and I'm, I, I revisited him tonight because I'm experimenting. Is um, Bogdan? He's killed me. Yeah. Um, and and Middleton has killed me at times. Oh, he but, hurt me last night. Right. So I don't necessarily say dead to me per se, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a hell of a strong look in a different direction. If, if that makes sense versus piggybacking, right. You know, giving it a shot again, because Brogdon's burned me at least three straight times that I've played him. Well, you know, you know, two, it, two snowflakes and just a mediocre game type of thing. That's the worst. It's the worst. Like last night, I had $8,000 Chris Middleton who gave me 21 points. I, I can't win that way. I just can't no. win that way. And you want to, here, here's a funny thing. I get to tell you guys a funny story is uh, two guys, Pascal Siakam and Chris Middleton, I consistently tell my 14 year old son that they're stiffs. Like messing around with them, right? I'm like, yo, those guys are stiffs. Why do you like them so much, right? And and whole constantly like throw his phone in my face when they have good games. So finally, like last night, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna start Chris Middleton. And what's he do? He gave me a <laughs> stiff, all out stiff performance. So I say, yo, AJ, give here, buddy. Look at this. He's a stiff. I told you. Why did I start him? Now he is gonna get me later because he told me to start Julius Randle, and I didn't do it. So uh, and, and you know what? He's gonna be all over me for that. But, uh, let, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more in NBA, and we're going to get into the Major League Baseball slate because Major League Baseball pitchers and catchers start today. So I can't wait. I mean, the San Diego Padres, the St. Louis Cardinals, so many exciting teams to talk about. Uh, but staying on basketball just for a little bit more. So, Dan, obviously Antonio uh, – I, I keep saying Antonio Davis. Anthony Davis, I, I think, like we talked about last night, really bad injury. But, you know, from a DFS standpoint, because I've started Montrezl Harrell. And he's yeah. kind of owned me a few times. Like, he really hasn't stepped up. So I'm curious to think. I know you were the Gasol guy. You were like, ah, you know, I'll throw Gasol in there, right? No. Nah. No, somebody. No, nah, that wasn't me. All right. Maybe it was John. Maybe I'm it was a Kuzma John. guy. I, I, well, I'll tell you what. He's, I like Kuzma. He's, he's he, up there. He's been, he's, now he's a guy that I've used a lot lately. Um, and he's, pulled through for me you know he's been a good value so and harold was terrific last night but um those those two guys are the clear people that i think will benefit if davis has um long-term injury or he's going to get um a lot of days off if you know what i mean what i said so, two to three weeks so all right I- so i would write i'd i'm i'd write kuzma 
I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be longer than three weeks. I do, and I think he's going to be on like minute restriction. Uh, yep. So yeah, I like Kuz. I just, I, it's, it's hard for me to spend six to seven thousand on Kuzma. I just, you know, I, I look at like tonight. I spent seventy four hundred on John Morant. I, I can't spend seven thousand on Kuzma. For me, I can't yeah. justify that. Did he jump up to that amount? Uh, I think, you know, I, I got to look at what he was tonight. Because um, like the, the, the past few times that I played him a week or so ago, I don't think his number was that high. Yeah, he he's he is getting up there. Well, uh, for, I, well, I, it's it's obvious reasons now, you know. Because well, yeah, I mean, he's had he has a couple good performances, which I understand, which is fine. Uh, but but Mark, when it, when Antonio Davis went down, Anthony. All right, you got the old school Pacers on the brain. I do. I got the Dale and Antonio show in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't even know why. It's crazy to me. But and when Anthony Davis goes down with the Achilles the first time, you know, they monitor it. We know he had leg injuries last year. What change? An automatic, I mean, because you, you, obviously everybody comes out, Brooklyn, 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 right? Ah, uh, Brooklyn's winning now. They're winning. And, and I, I do think that somebody else besides the Lakers is going to win if Anthony Davis, I said it right that time, and cannot come come back fully healthy from a, a future standpoint going forward. How did that affect, how does that affect the Lakers, you know, with, with their line potential without their, to me, their, their best player? Yeah, I think they're in trouble. To be honest with you. And it's not like, Oh, the sky's falling. Like they have LeBron. I get it. But like, I think in general, even before the injury, like I think they missed some of the rim protection that they had last year. Like if you remember last year, very physical, like they, they actually beat teams up down the stretch. Um, in that bubble, and it was kind of like a war of attrition because they're playing all the time, and it's like guys just want to get out of there, right? And I think they yep. missed Dwight Howard, and they missed, you know, McGee, guys like that that kind of I thought had a bigger role in them being that physical team last year um, than probably they got credit for. Uh, you know, those guys are out now, and I, I don't know if they have anyone to kind of step up and do that. And I think when you look at the West, right, this is a conference, you know, they, the Jazz already have a game and a half on them, right? So then, you know, you know, the Clippers are right behind them, right behind them, I think is, you know, only three games behind them are probably, uh, you're looking at Portland, the Suns, right? So I think that when we look ahead into the like playoff picture, you know, how long is this going to be out? Is it going to linger? And, you know, how are they going to play in this absence? Like, are they really going to put their pedal to the metal? Or are they going to kind of cash it in and be like, hey, you know what, we're going to take some losses here you know, without Davis, or are they just going to run, you know, James into the ground and try and power through this next stretch because we're going to get to the end of the season and that type of stuff's matter. That decision could, could have a huge impact. Um, I think this is huge for Utah, to be honest with you. I mean, because when you look at their path to the finals, right, in the West, you got the Clippers and you got the Lakers, right? If you're the number one seed, you know, and the Clippers and Lakers are two and three, you don't have to beat them both. Like, you might get Portland – in round two, and then you know, you then you just got to let the other teams beat themselves up, and then you take the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever wins that series. But you know, if they were as opposed to like if they were the two or three seed, then they would have to beat the Lakers and the Clippers in order to get you know to win the West. So I think that their road gets much easier, um, considering that they can you know keep keep on doing what they're doing. But I think the Lakers, um, I don't think you know, I think they're going to have a real hard time over this stretch without Davis. And the question will become if they do is how do they attack the rest of the season after that? Because they could find themselves, you know, five games out by the time he comes out, six games out. Right. And, you know, at that point, are they just gearing up for the playoffs, realizing they're not going to have home court or 
do they really try and make a push for a one seed that might be a, unobtainable at that point? Yeah, it's a good point. Because uh, I, I, I honestly, I didn't think Utah was going to be as good as they are. I, I mean, they. No. I mean, I don't think anybody. They're, they're right? a team that. I mean, they were good last year, right? But then they ran into Jamal Murray, and uh, nobody right. was stopping that. Jamal Murray. You know what I mean? Like nobody. Like he just went nuclear. So, um, you know, it was kind of like I don't want to say it was bad luck, but they were up three to one, right? Wasn't that the three to one series? They were up and they they had it and they just got away from them. So yeah, um, right. I think they're good enough to kind of compete. And I think that you know you get a compromised Lakers team these next couple of weeks, they can extend that lead. Um, and then you know you get Davis back, right? And let's not pretend like you get an Achilles and you snap your fingers and hey, you know I'm good. Well, I'm going to play a hundred percent and dominate the league. That's not going to happen. They have to gradually get him back. Like their goal is going to be forward thinking as far as like. How do we make sure we have the best healthy Lakers team for the playoffs? And that could change the whole landscape. It really could. It, it absolutely could. And if they don't have their big guy, then a team like, in my opinion, Phoenix can get right in yep. the mix, right? Absolutely. Because now DeAndre Ayton doesn't have to go against Anthony Davis. Completely yeah. different scenario, right? And I, I love the Phoenix team. Dan, I think they're very strong. I love you know I love CP3. I would just, I, you know I watched that game from beginning to end last night. And again, I because we talked about CP3 on the show. We talked about CP3 on half court heat. We talked about on last week because everybody just I just love CP3. And watching him let I'll tell you why he never hit the rim last night. Number one, yeah, right. I mean, he never hit the rim. And just if if Phoenix can get Booker. The way he's playing, if they can have Jay Crowder play the way that he's been playing, right? The, the, the low man was Mikel Bridges, who actually is a really good player, right? He's just he's 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 very inconsistent. I mean, they get these guys on the same page, man. And, and Davis doesn't come back because I I don't think he's going to come back as the same player. Not this year. I really don't. I because. He's always going to be thinking about it. Dan, you know as a PT guy, right? It's always going to be to me in his head. How much can I stretch it? How much can I move? And It's going to be real close to re-aggravating that injury. So I, I don't think he's going to be right for the rest of the season. No, that, that injury more so than any other. Like we've we've all tweaked the hamstring. And worst, even if you even if you come back early from a hamstring and you pull it, you, you know, you're – your career, your career or season is not over. You could at least, you know, take two, three weeks off and hopefully it'll heal. And Achilles, that's like a horrific injury. If when that, when, if that tears, it, you're, you're, you're taking a year off. And then when you yeah. come back from the year off, you're another year from being yourself again. So it's really two years off. So it, it, that you, you hit the nail on the head tone. That's a, a mental injury that even if he doesn't tear it, he's going to probably play gingerly through it and when you play that way you're at, you're at risk of injuring and at the very least you're not going to be the aggressive ball player that we're accustomed to seeing so i, I agree with you 100 i think right now it, it, it's already a game changer for the lakers i think um a lot of the teams in the west have a smile on their face yeah they've <laughs> i'll tell you i hate to say it but you're right they really do um, you know, 100%. They, they already know it. I, I am so – listen, this is already going to be a bad night. I already know it because it's the first quarter and Jace Tatum's already got the snowflake, by the way. We're, we're, we're on live watch. Jace Tatum with a damn snowflake already. Uh, that's not good. I, I'm not looking anymore. Not looking. 
Uh, but I'm really not. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Let's go over to baseball. We're about more than 75% into this show. We've been sticking to a great format, hour, hour 15, because I think any, anything besides that is a little longer. You know, we had the special preview tonight where we actually built the lineup. We went through numerous NBA scenarios. But let's flip right over to Major League Baseball. And the first team, in my opinion, that we have to talk about is the San Diego Padres, who had, listen, very frankly, Maybe Manny Machado knew all along this was a team to go to. I I don't know. I mean, we all laughed, right? We all laughed. I didn't want Manny, right? We all laughed. He don't want to win. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But maybe he was right. I mean, he goes to San Diego, and, and they look damn good, man. And then they get you Darvish. If you Darvish can stay healthy, uh, just from a fantasy perspective. Actually, you know what? Let, let's talk about from a betting perspective first. Uh, you know, as as we insert today was pitchers and catchers, which is great. You know, the, the, the supposed start, they report, right? So we're inching closer to the to the, you know, the offseason being ended and spring training. And I, I know there's going to be so many different protocols in place, but San Diego, Mark, do they they automatically do they roll out as the favorite in the National League over top of teams like Washington and the Dodgers and things of that nature? Yeah, I mean they got the third best plus eight hundred. They get the third best odds in the whole thing. There you um, go. So, I mean, they, a lot of people believe in this team. A lot of people believe in the managers going to do what they have to do to go get players even mid season um, as this thing rolls on, right? Um, and they have the offense, right? You have Machado, you have. He, like you have these guys that are going to hit bombs, um, you know. So it's just going to come down to like every season is you know is the pitching going to hold up? Like is Darvish sounds great, great on paper, right? Yep. You know, is he going to be healthy? You know, and, and you look at that kind of stuff, and um, you know, from their with their staff is you know the the pitching is it going to be good enough? Um, you know, they have. Uh, you know, Lamet and they have Blake Snell they went out and got, which I like, is just someone who comes to them with an organization that, you know, he's been through it, he knows how to win, you know, and can he, what can he bring to that staff? Because they have some young guys on that staff too. Mackenzie Gore is a guy that they're going to be looking at to come in spring training, win that fifth starter job. Um, and I think that if they can get enough depth, like in that, in that, pitching staff and in that rotation they can definitely make some noise and listen everybody knows it's like dodgers 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 and the reason right. why it's dodgers 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 is because they can go like eight deep on their staff and they can still roll may out there if like seven you know first seven guys aren't available right it doesn't even matter um so and that's kind of the key and i think that in this season it's going to be a weird year right so it's you know they're coming off like the covid season and, and now they're coming back and they're going to play i mean i they're trying to do business as usual um, and get through the season and how the teams hold up, you know, from a health perspective and, you know, are these pitchers, are they going to, you know, how effective are they going to be um, as the season goes on? Because their, their typical routines in life has been disrupted. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not just because they go out there and schedule 162 games doesn't mean it's going to feel the same you know, coming off the weird year that we had. So I think a lot of teams, you're seeing a lot of teams try and gear up and get depth in their pitching staff. Um, and they're kind of some of the teams that I would target. But I do like San Diego. I mean, outside of the Dodgers, um, I don't believe in the Yankees, right? The Yankees had a ton of injury problems last year. I don't know if, you know, any of those guys are going to pay off. You know, their staff, I think, um, is has much more to be desired to win out and get some big names. But can those guys stay healthy? Um 
you know, I mean, I think they have as good a shot as anyone if you're going to take one of the favorites. Uh, they're a fun team, too. You know, you can't go wrong. Yes. You know, rooting for that team is a lot more fun than rooting for the Dodgers, who everyone just kind of expects to win anyway, right? Yeah, ex- well, that, exactly. I mean, and, and the Dakota pro- pro- projects them to win 103 games this year, and we're talking about the Dodgers, who they, you know, they, their big counter, which to me wasn't a big counter, uh, was signing Trevor Bauer, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Blake Snell, you, I mean, when you can add, and you said a perfect market, it's on paper. But then when we look at this fantasy wise, and you look at, you're talking about two starters that are t- probably top five, top eight, top 10 easy in fantasy projections. You added two of them in one offseason. To me, that's absolutely stunning that yeah. you're able to do that. It really is. Uh, so what do you think, Dan? What do you think about these Padres? No, I, I think they're a scary team. I mean, the Dodgers, I still think, are the head of the division. But not only because they they do, they, you know, they still match them for talent, if not have a tad more talent, but they know how to win. And that, that can't be uh, undersold. They know how to win. San Diego, you know, how many times have you seen teams that are projected to take that next step and then they crap the bed and then maybe the following year they, they make the move. But I, I think San Diego is a, definitely a slam dunk playoff team, but I still think the Dodgers win a division. The team, the team and, and Mark, I'm curious, what's your take on the Cardinals? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're a, t- they're a team I think, you know, the, a lot of people are going to keep their eye on, obviously, to go out and make a big deal for our NATO. Um, and, you know, it's they, they can definitely make some noise. I just think that it's tough. In I mean, the good thing about baseball is, is that you get one of these teams like the Cardinals and in the middle of the pack, like we've seen it, right? They get to the playoffs. They can get hot. If they have enough pitching, you know, they can go far enough. Um, do, do I – I think they'll be competitive. I think they'll be much better. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't think the central is going to be stacked by any means. Um, so, you know, they'll be able to make some noise in there, but if I were to take a team kind of like in that range, I would probably look more at the blue Jays. I think the blue Jays are a team that I'm kind of looking at the plus 2200 in the futures market. Um, and they're a team, very good young core. They got Guerrero jr. There. They went out and got Springer. Right. So they're trying to add some pieces. But again, like with all these like mid range teams that you're looking to make a leap, they're not going to be able to do it without being healthy, you know, with their rotation. And they're going to need some guys to step up like the Blue Jays will need Pearson to step up. They have some guys there. Um, they're going to have to repeat the success that they made last year. But they would be the mid-level team that I would target. I know a lot of people are going to be on the Cardinals just because of the deal that they made. Um, but. Um, I think the Blue Jays could be a team that could kind of make some noise. You figure the Rays probably fall off a little bit, right? Um, Yankees still have a ton of injuries, so I think they can make some noise in that division. Uh, you know, I forgot all about George Springer going to the Blue Jays. You bring that up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot all about that. You go to a you know a powerhouse team now with Guerrero and Bichette. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this, this, this has every bit to be a very fun lineup, Dan. No, it – it's uh, it it makes you depressed about our team. So, <laughs> I love it. I mean, no, the it, the East is always interesting. I mean, it it, it it's the Yankees, and then you know, Stan is going to get hurt, Judge is going to get hurt, then teams are going to start you know vying for you know uh, challenging them. But I, I think it's um, it'll be interesting. I still think Tampa Bay again. He lost in Snell, but they know how to win. I I, it, I think Tampa Bay and Toronto will be a, a hell of a battle 
for, for a wild card spot if um, if they don't overtake the Yankees for the division. Um, again, it's funny both 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 central divisions in, in um, the Na- National American League aren't the stronger divisions. So and and you always have Houston, who's mm-hmm. a known commodity. Always so it, have Houston. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, of course, you know, it's funny. I don't know what, what your take is on the Braves and the Mets because, you know, some people are trying to outsmart themselves and, and, and pick the Mets to win the division. But I still think it's the Braves division to take. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. Did, did the Lindor ch- uh, trade change things for me a little bit? I think they got – I really like Francisco Lindor. I, I love him in Cleveland. I think he's a fantastic player. No, he is. He is terrific. Right? But. And, and, and Syndergaard, if he comes back – like I, I think it, I, he's not projected to start the season, correct? Uh, no, he's a couple right. months away, I think. Right, but I'm saying he he is going to oh, project yeah. the, the. It's play. like a trade piece, essentially. Right, exactly. So I mean, listen, I, you know, this is all going to come down to pitching in that division, and I don't think you could get a better three than what the Braves have. You know, if, if Anderson pitches the way he did uh, in in the postseason, you know, I, I mean, listen, or later in the season, you should say, uh, I think they have a really good one, two, three. Now, the Phillies, who we talked about last night, uh, here's an interesting uh, scenario for you because you know I was looking at rankings before here, kind of get the consensus of where the, the starting pitchers are fantasy wise. Aaron Nola is the eighth ranked starting pitcher for fantasy, which I was really surprised at and i was looking at some of the names that were below him and right below him is a guy named max scherzer which i was really really surprised at that and the next guy in line is clayton sure uh, clayton kershaw and the next guy behind him is jack flaherty so i i'm, I'm shocked that aaron nola is actually that high and what that tells me is and this is the consensus. And this is the consensus of CBS Sports, ESPN, and Yahoo. And I'm just curious to hear you guys take because when I see things like this, it makes me feel like a, a really, really good year is coming for Aaron Nola. I, you know, I honestly, and I, I know we've said this before, and I, I will say it again that this all hinders around Aaron Nola. I expect. Everything we got from Zach we were last year and more, uh, you know, but I think that Aaron Nola obviously is the key. But number eight, Dan, are you surprised that he's ranked number eight? Um, um I, yeah, I, no, I, I have, I'd have to see the list. I don't have it in front of me. So, but- so I'll give you, I'll give you this, just, just to, just to tell you, you got one, the Grom one, Garrett Cole number two, Sean Bieber three, four is Trevor Bauer, you Darvish at five. Walker Bueller at six, and then Gallardo at seven from the from the uh, White Sox. So, and then you have Aaron Ola at eight. Um, yeah, I I think Bueller's <laughs> not ranked high enough to be honest with you, but um, I would put him over Bauer. Yeah, what's Bauer up right. there for? That's, well, right. that's, like, that's right. like the guy. That no, the I, I like, agree with that. Are, you, are we doing ridiculous. this on tweets? Like, are they ranking them by you know funny twi- tweets? I like, what is that? Like, I, yeah. I was I was shocked by that. I'm like, wait a minute, it's this list, and it, it, it seems all out of sports, man. It really and does. Kurt, Kershaw to me is ranked too high, to be honest with you. I think I, so too. His his, yeah. his his better days are way behind him, especially so, with the injury history. Yeah. 
especially with the injury history. Now, yeah, I mean, the, the Snells of the world, you're, you're surprised that maybe he's ahead of, um, you know, maybe Glass now. I, I don't know, but he, he's a solid, he's a damn good pitcher, is the bottom line. So, you know, he, can he win 17 games, Tone? Uh, you know, 17 is a, a really tough number. And, you know, it's funny because nowadays 17 is 20. So yeah. it really is. So it's like 17. You know what? I honestly, I think he can. Now, we, you guys brought this up yesterday. You advanced, which was a great call. You know, if we're able to, to lure somebody in like a Jackie Bradley Jr. and we shore up that lineup in that center field spot, then I absolutely think he could win 17 games. I would, but but to know that they're going to be trotting guys like Adam Hazley out there on a consistent basis and not really have the full functionality of that lineup, it's going to be tough for me to say that I, you know, he could consistently win games because we've seen him pitch extremely well and have no run support. So I, you know, it, it's it's hard. You know, look, looking at that landscape. So right now, I would say no. Right the now, question, no. the question becomes: you know, can he pitch seventeen complete games? Because that's might be what he has to do to get seventeen wins with the right. bullpen. So uh, exactly, you know, I think that even more than the lineup will probably have an impact on you know his win losses. I mean, I think that's why it looked so ugly last year. What was he last year five and five or something like that in a limited action? But uh, yeah, it was, you know. I, he wasn't. Um, what, what was he last year? I know. I know. Eflin was four and two uh, because I I was looking at that last night. But last year, Aaron Nola in the I remember show. Wheeler started off hot and then he get, yeah. I mean, Nola had a good year. Like I think he had his second second best whip of his career. But it's just you know small sample size and, and a team that couldn't hold a lead. You know, and that kind of tough yeah, thing. He was five and five. Started twelve games. He was five and five. Yeah, uh, he had a three point two eight ERA, and his whip with his whip was excellent at one point oh eight. Yeah, so that's oh, terrific. That's that, what the that's, rankings that's draw terrific. from. Yeah, yeah. They yep. expect to bounce back, and you know, if the bullpen's a little bit better, he gets more wins. That kind of helps out the win loss ratio, and then you know, we go from there. So there, I, I, what's amazing is, and we talked about this last night, Mark, and how important that whip number is. In 2018, his whip was 0.97. Yeah, give you an idea how good his 2018 year was. 2.37 ERA, 17 and six. He was fantastic. Um, his projections this year, they have him at 13 and nine, the 1.20 whip. So I, you know, I, I think the and that and that high. gives them, they project him with that, and, and that makes him the eighth best pitcher in baseball. Yes, that's yeah, so I, yeah. It seems attainable. I mean, yeah, it's that. Th listen, thirteen wins is very attainable. Um, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Now, on the flip side, I wanted to talk a little bit, and this will be you know in closing is. Uh, obviously, no pun intended, but we'll literally, right, right, right. Uh, closing pitchers and relief pitchers. Now, every system is different. Let me start off by saying that because I've been in so many different leagues that were formulated very differently, and in the sense that you know, your your closing pitcher, you were allowed to have two on your team, or sometimes you had to have you had to start two relief pitchers. Uh, sometimes you didn't have a closer; you just had a, an RP, and then you had that special designation where uh, let me get let me get the RP SP guy in there, and you know, so many analytics go into it. 
I'm just want to talk about strictly closers because I know for DFS you are going to start one closer every contest. So I, I want to look at because there's been a lot of movement, there's a ton of movement because one of my favorite guys in Kirby Yates uh, goes to San Diego and goes to Toronto, which I think is a big move. But the number one, at, and this is a consensus again, is I, I, I really have before I get to the number one, I got to ask you guys about Carlos Carrasco. Uh, like, uh, is he honestly going to be the closer for the Mets? Did you hear about that? No. I yes, asked Diaz. No, I know he's going to be in the rotation. It is Edwin Diaz, but here's the thing. Yeah, yeah here's the thing, though. He's an SPRP. May. Yeah. Well, he's an SPRP. So, again, he, he's he's got dual functionality. So, if you're playing in a traditional fantasy league, okay, he can actually be your closer. Is, is is I, I formulated that question wrong when I brought it up, but okay. I'm talking about for fantasy purposes. So if you're in a traditional fantasy league on CBS and you're and you not have a CP designation for closing pitcher and it's just RP, you have a guy like Carlos Carrasco who's an RPSP. You can actually make him your closer. Now there are some benefits to that, and there are some drawbacks to that. The benefits are if Carlos Carrasco is a two plus pitcher, a two-week pitcher, two-star pitcher in that week, and you get him as your closer, and he wins both games, and he scores you 40 to 50 points, you are you have a stud as a closer, right? But again, if he doesn't, then it can kind of backfire. But what do you think, Dan? Would you, if, if Carlos Carrasco was on your team, would you put him in as your closer? Um, I'd have to see how his season's going before I do that. In the early stages, no. But if he pitches very well, then sure. Yeah, there, but, I mean, listen, there's a lot of these guys. Uh, you know, honestly, there's a lot of these guys. And, and this is, again, traditional fantasy that you have to look at. A lot of them that are RS, RPSP eligible. And it's huge. It's, an, it's, it's a secret science of the fantasy baseball mantra. I'm telling you right now, it's a secret science. I mean, even guys like Kevin Guzman, you know, they're guys that are RSP, RPSP, guys that can be used in a multifaceted system. Now, when you just want to talk about closers, okay, obviously you're always going by the best team. I, I think both of you guys would agree with that. You're going by the best team. So uh, one guy to me, and they haven't ranked this number two, and Mark, this I think this has specifically about the Chicago White Sox team, that young pitching staff that they have out there is Liam Hendricks, who they have as the number two guy overall. I, I really think that Chicago White Sox are building something special out there. I don't know what their futures look like or what their preseason numbers look like, but can you see him as being the number one of top closer based on what that team's potential is? Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what you want to look at, right? You want to look at a team that's going to give them enough run support, you know, for yeah. them to win games and for them to go in there and close these games. Um, it's, you know, it, closers are tough, man. Like, they're like, they're in that same kind of bucket as like kickers and goalies to where like so much of that position is mental that like it can dry, it can switch in a dime. Like, you know what I mean? Like it could, you know, like you could be great one year and then next year you're, you lost it. You know what I mean? And especially sure. you see like these guys move around a lot and you know, chemistry in the clubhouse or whatever the situation is, it, it just doesn't work out like it did previously. There's, um, you know, very little data that points to the, you know, a closer just being consistently good throughout his career and just kind of like, you know, de not what depending on the situation that they're in or the team that they're on or whatnot. So you kind of like with that, it's like a wait and see. Like, that's the thing, like you're talking about Carrasco with the Mets. Like, if you get an opportunity like that, I would say put him in there 
give it a shot because these closers are so up and down to begin with, especially True. early in the season. You don't know what you're going to get. And then, you know, maybe you get an advantage early in the season. And then as the season progresses, you can kind of look to implement something more stable. Um, but it could give you, you know, definitive edge early in the season to where you could go in, you could take, you know, one of the best closers in the league and plug him in your team. And you think, hey, I got this guy. He's supposed to get all these saves. It's going to be fine. And then who knows what happened, right? You know, dog ran away, wife cheated on him. All of a sudden, he can't close any games, right? And you don't, you know, and but you don't have any of that information, you know, unless you got some good sources. So closers, so tough to gauge. Like I said, like goalies in hockey, like early in the season, I would take a shot with Carrasco, try and get an edge on the competition, and then go with something more stable down the line if it doesn't work out. Yeah, it's a good point. And then, I mean, the, the way the closer role has really changed over – I mean, we, we were at a time where you – mandatory. You had to have that locked up. Closer – I mean, this, we're going back to the Mariano Rivera days, right, the, where guys were locked in on that role. You really don't have that anymore. I mean, look, look I, I know the guy is going through some issues, but when we had Ken Giles, we were thinking, oh, my God, this guy – thank God we're going to have a close – and then he's kind of just – fluxed out you know he goes to houston now he's toronto back and forth. i mean it's all over the place so as it will the closer role ever be what it used to be will always be kind of like closer by committee you think um no i think certain teams are still going to have the, the traditional closer i mean like the nationals won't you know they'll have hand hand and hudson um you know, you know yeah i mean haters hater and williams with milwaukee yeah but you know, you still have Chapman with with the Yankees. Um, but it's funny, Panthers. I I yeah yeah I go yeah I go back. You know, again, I hate to always say this. I'm like the old head of our network, That's but I right. remember I remember when Bruce Suter wow. would come in in the sixth inning and finish the oh. Gossage and Suter and those guys, Sparky Lyle, they would pitch three four McGraw. They'd pitch three four innings and get a save. So it's the evolution of the closer is going through so many cycles to, you know, the three, four inning save to um, everyone has their job in a bullpen and then you're only pitching a ninth inning to what you're referencing now where it's uh, it's like running back by committee in NFL. It's like closer by committee in, in Major League Baseball. But it, it, analytics is, has probably toiled with baseball more than any other sport. It's a good point. So I mean, I, I, I it, it, that even goes back to the starting pitcher mantra um, of, you know, if you pitch two hundred innings now, you're a beast. It used to be three hundred innings back in the day. Carlton yeah. Seaver, no. so it's just, I don't know. Generally, I you always say like in certain professions, things go in full circle. Maybe it'll come back to what it once was, but I don't, I don't think so with baseball and the analytics. It's uh, too many newer people taking over and sticking with the modern way of managing the game and running the game, which, you know, it, it conflicts with a lot of my thinking, but. Ah, uh, listen, analytics has played a huge role in the game. It, it's played a huge role in the way we play fantasy. I think analytics is the reason why so many, you know, in, you know, in the uh, traditional sense have moved to the DFS sense because the DFS system is much more user-friendly from an analytics standpoint because you obviously you don't keep the same lineup every single day, right? So, and we're right. just talking about closers. You think about it, you pick, like Mark said, I mean, you're looking at the good team with the good matchup. So, you know, from a DFS standpoint, it's like, all right, 
who has the good matchup tonight? Who number one? Who who am I going to pick as my winner? And number two, you know, we got to make sure it's not a blowout. You know, because we want to make sure the guy's going to, you know, going to get a closing opportunity. We also want to see who the pitcher is because we have to know who that pitcher is on the mound. Is he going to get an opportunity to close, right? And so there's so many different factors, but it all centers around analytics. So let's do something to end this show uh, on a fun way. Always, like I said, we'll stick into baseball relevancy. Uh, you know, I'll just – listen, simple question. Uh, it won't even be fantasy loaded. Uh, I, I just want to – because we've talked about San Diego. We You know, we talked about the White Sox. We talked about the National League with the Dodgers, right? So I want to let let me ask you guys this, Mark. I'll come to you first. Just give me your surprise team, if you can, that you think that nobody's talking enough about that can really make some noise. And it doesn't matter if it's American League, National League, just overall Major League Baseball. It's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. Dare I say the Giants? I I I, I know. It's hard to say, but you're right. I think, I mean, it's just, you know, off the top of my head. I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, they get a shot to probably be competitive. It's a tough division, though. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard because baseball, I don't know, man. Like, baseball is so hard because you have these, you know, behemoth teams at the top, man, just taking all the players. You know what I mean? Like the Yankees and the Dodgers. And it's, it's, it's we always see these teams come out of nowhere, but it's it's really difficult to predict it. It really is. It is. And, and again, I know it, it, we're coming off a weird season, right? Yep. And, you know, so it, it's really, really hard to predict anything. But you just never know. What do you think, Dan? What do you, what, what do you have? Huh. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll stick with the Bay Area. So I, maybe I'll go Oakland. Oakland. I love Oakland. Oh, every yeah, I like Cleveland. Oh, I love fan. Cleveland, too. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland, listen, Cleveland's always going to be a decent team, right? They they just are. You know, what's that? Good defense. Yeah. You know, sticky team. They kind of hang around every game. That's okay. I tell you what, you're looking for a closer. That's probably good. Karen Jack. Low low offensive output, good defensive team. That's true. Yeah. The, 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 um, they have a, yeah. Karinchak is their closer, and he's got a hell of an arm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 it'll be interesting because a lot of the teams that are projected to do well, they're they're right, they're piled on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even the, even, I mean, is there any chance that the Phillies, Ooh. you know, scare anybody? Because I mean, they scare me already. <laughs> well, no, but, but <laughs> I'm scared to death talking about the Phillies. Right, but no, there. But <laughs> you, you think if they improve the bullpen just in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. how many games is that? You know, bring them back to the, bring them back to to the rest of the division. But then, are they going to hit the same that they did last year? So if the bullpen somehow miraculously improves, it's like you, you can't bank that everything that was going well last year continues to go well because it's always right. like a check to be a regression, right? There's going to be regression, right? Over and the other teams and, too, and injuries and and that yeah. sort of stuff, yeah. But and that was clearly what killed us last year. It was it was the worst bullpen in the history of baseball. Yeah, but it's no, more right. at your point, Dan. I think it's more that they're just an unbalanced team. And, yeah. you know, when you have that, it's kind of like, all right, like maybe, you know, we can 
bring in a couple guys in the bullpen and hope a couple guys who didn't step up last year magically figure it out. Um, and then that might get fixed. But again, like we're talking about, we're rolling into a, you know, 162 game season or whatever, you know, they're going to try and play everything as normal. It, you know, how healthy is your staff going to be? Is Wheeler, the Nola, these guys going to make it through the season? You know, do you have depth if they don't, right? You know, are we going to be trotting out Vinny Velasquez? Is there our no, best we're going to pick up Jay guys already. Like, uh, oh, so, yeah, I hope so. You know, yeah, I mean, they need help. They need help there. I just look at the Phillies right now. Like, I still think they're one of those middling, you know, 80 yeah. wins, right? Just kind of hanging I, I around. I agree. They're going to maybe 82 wins. will get, get, you know, they'll try, finally crack above 500, but. Um, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't think enough people are talking about the Nationals, to be honest with you. I, 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 listen, I know they were seller dwellers last year, right? So I, I don't think the grabbing last year doesn't even count, right? Yeah, I, I know. But still, I mean, you know, when you listen to the conversations, I keep hearing about the Mets and the Braves and nobody's really talking about the Nats. I mean, they, they quietly could have had the second best offseason in baseball. And they have Juan Soto, who, Dan, we've talked about this on the show, could potentially, between him and Tatis, are, are essentially the best two young players in ba- in the game, right? That's so, right? So, I mean, you're talking about any sign they add Josh Bell, they add Kyle Schwerer, they add Brad Hain and John Lester, I, you know, and they still have the top three of Scherzer, Stroudsburg, and Corbin. So, I mean, listen, anything can happen in Washington. I know they, you know, they they jumped on a few players early, but I just don't think they're they're being talked enough about. And Milwaukee, I still think is a top team. Listen, Christian Yelich comes back as that MVP candidate. Okay, they they are another people that have a underrated starting pitching staff and led by Brandon Woodruff. So, I really think that they're another team. They get Lorenzo King back this year in center field. So I, I think in the NL Central, I think they really have uh, a knack for, for taking it up a notch. I don't think they're being talked enough about it as well. But I can't wait, man. I'm excited. I love I, I, I love baseball. I really do. I know it's a dying sport, so to speak. But I love talking about it. I love watching the web gems. I love watching baseball tonight. And I love playing fantasy DFS. And I, I, I want a lot of uh, prop bets. On uh, on Mookie on Mookie bets last year, so I'm, I'm gonna get a, back in on Mookie bet prop bets this year too, Mark. So I was there. You my, go. Hey, uh, we had a killing on the restart. I mean, uh, I got chancing in on it. We were hitting like the Cleveland unders, like every oh really? Game. Oh yeah, dude. They were under. I want to say it was like the first 13 games of the season or whatnot. <laughs> it was crazy. Like when they did the restart, like it was like the Cleveland under, the Cleveland under every. It was like every day, dude. We just played it. Now, eventually, it, it caught up because they're, you know, I mean, they were setting, you know, the over under so low at some point. You know, it was just like forget it. But if there's a while, I mean, it was a good couple weeks where we were just cleaning up. Then that's great, man. That's great. I, that's that's what's great about baseball. It goes and, and now they lost, you know, and they did lose Lindor. So. Well, I exactly. And so, but we a lot more unders in our future, man. Yeah, that's for damn sure. But we're gonna end on that. We're at hour fourteen oh six. I love it. Under an hour and fifteen has been around this March. John Mauer, thanks so much for joining us tonight, buddy. Where can I for having you, for man. breakfast every Saturday morning? Right, betting for breakfast every Saturday morning on my Twitter account. Um, we go at eleven now, so we go a little bit later, a little later breakfast, but it's still served hot for everybody. <laughs> so make sure you all tune in. Love it, love it. And Dan, as always, tomorrow night, fire night, special time tomorrow night, right? Yeah, five, five. I hear something 
in the background. Uh, that was my phone. I, I, heard. Heard. My oh, okay. phone yeah. I was like, I thought it was my. Sometimes I thought you thought something popped up on my computer. With um, Siri, we have to go five thirty because uh, the Flyers play at seven. You They're know, actually going to get a game co- in tomorrow night, right? Yeah, with all the COVID, I I lost track of the schedule, and I was I was promoting it all week for seven o'clock uh, show, but the, they have a game at seven, so. So we'll be, we're going to go at five thirty tomorrow. So check them Wire out nice. always five thirty Heat Ratio Sports. Uh, get in on their contest too, giving away that retro Carter Hart jersey. All you got to do is like the account, like the Heat Ratio Sports account, like the Flyer and Ice Pod account, and retweet it, and you will get in the contest. So uh, as always, again, give us a subscription on YouTube. We just hit over two hundred. We're at two hundred two. Uh, good job, boys. I appreciate everything. Appreciate the support. Uh, working as a team, I love it. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will catch you next week.